takes a village to raise a child, so it makes sense that parents will often look at the village they belong to and evaluate if this is really what they want for their children. This episode is not just for parents. This episode is about raising up the next generation in the context of a prayer room. So what does it look like to raise kids in the house of prayer? What are some of the challenges, some of the stories, and some of the victories? It's these questions and a whole lot more that we'll be discovering on today's episode. This is the Burning Rooms Podcast. the Burning Rooms Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we connect with the prayer movement in Canada and beyond, where we have the conversations and share the stories to strengthen your corporate and personal prayer life. My name is Johan. I'm Jehu. Today we are joined by two guests, Harv and Sue Peters, who are part of Sanctuary House of Prayer. They've been part of the House of Prayer since the beginning, and they have a family that they brought into the House of Prayer, and it's Jehu's parents as well. Yeah, so welcome. We're really excited to have you Thank here. You. Thank you. So Harv, we'll start with you. How did how did you guys end up in the prayer movement? And Sue, you can chime in if if you have anything as well. We'd moved to Winnipeg in '95. We helped start a church, and while we were in that church, in about '97 or so, uh, a group decided from the church decided to do an extended period of worship, and so we had worship teams. Uh, some were individuals. We met in a relatively small office space or renovated office. And we went for 24 hours, and we had kids there. People brought their sleeping bags. There was artistic painting, some dancing. And I remember vividly thinking, this is really good. We could do this again. We have enough musical talent in this church to do this again on some kind of a repeated basis because the worship was of varied styles, but it was, it was great. So that's the first time I remember thinking about doing something for an ex- worship for an extended period of time. Then, some years later, I was exposed to the International House of Prayer, IHOP, and friends of ours were going down to record an album there, and so I jumped in the car with them and spent most of my hours in the prayer room. They later joked that they would just open the door and throw me a sandwich or two, and uh, I was there for hours on end, and I loved it. I loved the presence of God, and I loved being in that environment, how Scripture came alive. So that was my introduction. That was how I came into the prayer movement. So where were you in all this when Harv was at IHOP? Like, was he, was he giving you phone calls and telling you what it's like? Or what were your thoughts during this time period? Or what were you doing? We'll back it up a bit. When we came to Winnipeg, we had an opportunity to be a part of a church, as Harv said. And they had a weekly morning prayer meeting. And I would go to that with my kids in tow and... It was a time where they had worship and then the intercession, and it was kind of my first exposure to that being somewhat put together, not completely like the IHOP prayer model, harp and bowl, but close to it. And so it just awakened in me a love for prayer and a love for worship that I hadn't had before. And so the years went along, and then when Harv went down to IHOP and then came back, he said, we need to have a house of prayer in Winnipeg. And I was, I kind of thought to myself, 
that is a bold thing <laughs> because I have been at those prayer meetings and there was not many people at those prayer meetings. And I love prayer. And I thought, how would we have a, ever have a house of prayer in Winnipeg? But he said, I'm going to pray until that happens. And I thought, well, that's a worthy thing. I'll join with you. And I also was recalling how Jim Gall had come to Winnipeg in 1995, and he had prophesied that there would be a worship watch in Winnipeg and in the surrounding region, and it would be a watch that would give praise to God. And I remember thinking at that time, I didn't know what that was, but then it was like I was able to see how it could be put together and could be seen as what was happening at IHOP, that a worship watch, this could be the same thing. And so it was like those two pieces came together for me. And so we began to pray and began to look and hope and dream for a house of prayer. This was our introduction to sort of the more formal house of prayer, the worship and intercession connected. But even years ago when we were first married and living in Vancouver, we were part of a house group leading a house group where much, it was a Friday night and we spent much of our time praying and prophesying and worshiping over each other. Sue and I were part of a uh, with a couple, with one other couple, we prayed and fasted for probably about a year every day for the church that we were part of. We got together. Um, so Wait, you fasted for a whole year? One day a week. Oh, okay. <laughs> not every day. And so prayer and worship, is it's like in our spiritual genes, goes back, way back. So it wasn't much of a transition for you when the Lord called you to be in the house of prayer as your, as your main expression, because he already planted that seed in you years before, and you're already giving yourselves to it. Yeah, the, this model was a bit different, but not the content or the function. So during that time of transition, you guys had children in tow. Uh, what were their ages at that time? They were between 9 and 15. So they spent the bulk of their teen years in the prayer room. Do you remember what it was like for your children during that time when you, when the Lord called you to transition from your Sunday morning church expression to into the house of prayer? I felt that I was a little concerned because I was concerned about the hours and I was concerned about the model and I was concerned because it didn't have some of the touch points that a, a regular church expression has where things are structured a certain way and you kind of know what's going on. And I was a little concerned that they might not find their way in it as easily. And yet there was something in them when I saw them being exposed to prayer or being exposed to worship in other settings, it was like they came alive. And so we had a, a year before the House of Prayer was planted, there was a meeting happening once a month, every Sunday night, and different ones of my children would go to that. And I saw them just come alive in that environment. And so it gave me a lot of confidence that maybe they actually were made for this model, but that model wasn't there when they were born. It was like it came afterwards, but the Lord had already been setting them up and had fashioned them such that they could easily fit into this particular expression. So did you find there was, the Lord just gave you a lot of grace in that season, even for your kids to transition? Yes, there was, there was a lot of grace. And I think that w the word I would say is be flexible. As parents, be flexible with all kinds of different uh, situations, experiences, and allow God to move in a way that you don't have so much control over. So I remember my experience, uh, and I think you were a little bit more flexible with me than maybe even some uh, good Christian parents might have been. Um, was there a time when I wasn't in church? Because I kind of remember not being in church for a while. Yes, 
There was a time when he wasn't in church. He was in grade four, five, and it was just a difficult time in the church that we were going to. It was uh, a bit more chaotic, and he was he found it difficult to have a sense of peace in church. And we decided that it was more important for him to remain positive towards church than to sort of push him through it. And so Harv and I, we took turns. And so one Sunday, Harv would stay home with him and I would take the others to church and then we would trade on and off. And and it was actually during that time I asked the Lord, I said, "Um, I really believe in church. (laughs) You started church, you birthed church, you're the head of the church. And my son loves you and yet has a hard time fitting in church. So I was like, maybe he will join an Anglican liturgical church or something. Maybe he needs a different approach or different style, a different model. And I didn't realize the model that the Lord had was preparing, but the Lord was preparing a model that was going to be perfect for him. And so when Jehu stepped into that model, it was like he just found peace and he found a way to connect with God that he hadn't experienced before. Well, that's, that's an awesome story. So just jumping back for a second, uh, Dad, you had mentioned that you wanted to start this prayer expression in Winnipeg, that you felt like uh, you saw this at IHOP. It was encouraging for you. Uh, All you really needed was sandwiches, and you could just keep on going for hours, and so you wanted that uh, here in Winnipeg. Uh, but did you think about what that might do for your kids, for the city? Was it was it for a you thing, like it was burning on your heart? Or, or how did that all sort of work out? I think as parents, every parent wants their kids uh, to follow God. I mean, why do we take our kids to Sunday school? Why, would, why do we take our kids to church? In part, we don't want them to become criminals. <laughs> <laughs> we hope that there's a dampening effect from organized religion that will rein in their sinful tendencies. And more than that, we want our kids to love Jesus with their whole hearts all the days of their lives. We want them to be madly in love with Jesus long after we're dead. And so it's the legacy of loving Jesus that I believe every parent wants. That's the why. Why do we want our kids to come to church? Why do we want them involved with God? Because there's a life in God that transcends sort of structure and so I was thinking of that, and I thought, well, Johan, imagine for an example, Winnipeg's busiest bar on a Friday night, and it's late, and you go late, like 11 at night, and you stay till 2, till it closes. So you're in this bar, it's packed, the band is doing their best impression of rock's most melancholy songs, the jokes are inappropriate and flowing, people are analyzing different things from the week, and they're using colorful language, and you're drinking your Coke and eating your wings, and you're just there. You're not participating, but you're just there. And at the end of the night, you go home, and next Friday night, you do the same thing. You go late, you put yourself in that place, and again, the conversation and the demons and everything is flowing, and you do that for a few weeks in a row. And if I were to ask you, what do you anticipate your general overall demeanor being at the end of five weeks of this the answer, I would imagine, is pretty obvious. Like, you'd be not in a better place. Yeah, I mean, it's like the beholding and becoming principle. So what if I were to tell you that there is a piece of real estate in Winnipeg that is open to the public Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening, Monday evening. There's live worship music there. You can go there and sit yourself down, open your Bible, and open your journal. And I promise you that if you give yourself to that, 
God will meet you. I mean, first of all, that's a great pitch, and that sounds great, and I, I, that's why I give myself to the prayer movement in the first place. But you see, that's the thing. Yeah. That I, I don't know when it happened, years ago, because I would go to church years and years ago, predating my time in Winnipeg, and maybe I, I would, if I had to consciously think about it, I would think, well, maybe I might meet God, maybe not, I'm not sure. Now, I'm absolutely convinced that if I go to that place, I will meet with God. Maybe not the knock-my-socks-off kind of meeting with God, but I will see something in Scripture I hadn't seen before. There's a thought I will have. There's a, some of the worship will capture my heart, and I'll go, oh, Jesus, you are so beautiful. I, too, love you so much. You are awesome, and my heart will be moved. And I, I don't wonder about that. I am convinced. You can't talk me out of it. I know that God will meet me there. And so, in order to raise kids who love Jesus, I have to go hard after God. And if I go hard after God, and this is a place that works for me, I don't think I'm anything special. I think it works for anybody. So I and Sue, we bring our kids there because we are confident that if we keep them there long enough, God will meet them. He will. He will meet them. You can't talk me out of it. He will. That's that's the why behind the what on another bunny trail. Years ago, when Sue and I were first married, I was working, uh, and one of my secular co-workers asked me, he said, why do people sing so much in church? A good question. And I didn't have a good answer for him. And I've thought about it over the years. Why do people sing so much? So you didn't have an answer for him at that moment either? I didn't. Okay. No, I didn't have no answer for him at the moment. But then as I thought about it over the years, it's, why do we sing? Well, why did the Old Testament, why did the Jews sing so much in the Old Testament? Why did the Christians in the New Testament and the Jews in the New Testament, why do they sing so much? Why? Why the singing? Why is there a whole book in the Bible devoted entirely to songs and songs sprinkled throughout the other books? I think in part, our God is a singing God. He loves to sing. He sang creation into existence. He sings, and I imagine him singing in this rich, bass, baritone voice, and he's singing over us. He's singing his love songs over us. And so we are like him. We're made in his image, so we're more born and crafted to sing. But I think there's more than that. It occurred to me the other day that counselors, when they're counseling their clients, they tell them, as part of their homework, to stand in front of a mirror and to say truth to themselves out loud into the mirror. You are beautiful. You are loved. You are worthy. And why is that? Because when you say the truth out loud, it goes inside and it changes who you are. So when we are singing, it creates a place, a way where the truth about God, as I sing the truth about God, it changes how I think and how I feel. And so in God and his brilliance, in my opinion, has instituted singing as part of a way of keeping us steady as the end comes, as trouble increases. Because as we're tempted to leave the faith, all we have to do is not stop singing. I promise you, if you don't stop worshiping, you won't leave the faith. Because what happens is you're thinking of leaving the faith, This applies to my kids. You're thinking of leaving the faith, but you choose to sing. So you sing the truth of scripture, which is worship. You sing, and now you've got cognitive dissonance going on. You're going, I believe one thing, but I'm singing something else, and I can't, I'm going to explode. And so you have to either change what you think and feel, or you stop singing. So if you don't stop singing, you're going to change. You're going to change, and you're going to stay steady, because you're going to fall madly in love with Jesus, the great singer. Of course you will. So that's why we bring our kids into an environment where there's worship, there's singing, their hearts will be moved. They will encounter God. 
And my heart gets stirred when I hear that. And I think it's something that we want for all of our children, for them to encounter God in the place of prayer. Sue, so do you have more to add about the value of having your children in the prayer room? One thing that I think is valuable about raising kids in the house of prayer is as they go along, they begin to realize that the prophetic history is their history. And because they are a part of hearing it, and they are actually a part, they're there during the unfolding of it. It isn't just like, well, this church is my parents' church, and it's just kind of a church. I think a house of prayer at its core has a prophetic edge to it, a prophetic story that's part of it. And so when we went into it and began, we listened to, of course, the tapes from IHOP. They were tapes then. <laughs> and we listened to the story about the comet, and we listened to the fasts, and we listened to about Bob Jones. But then when the Sanctuary House of Prayer started, we began to weave into it our own prophetic history. And so one thing that I think has been invaluable for our children is for that they have begun to realize that their story is weaving into God's story in a local expression. It isn't just God is moving on the earth, but God is moving in Winnipeg. And God has brought my parents to the house of prayer, yes, but God has also brought me to the house of prayer. And God has brought me into his story. And so he has begun, I believe, to imprint upon them the sense of the now moving of God. And that they are a part of it. And I believe that that prophetic peace has added to their faith and has brought a sense of, I think God is bigger in their minds than maybe before. I think it has allowed for the story, the Bible story to come alive. And it has, as they have been a part of it, they have also seen how God moves now. God gives a dream. God uh, gives insight. God gives correction in the house of prayer. And they are part of all of those experiences. And that, I believe, adds to their uh, walk in God, their walk of faith. I think that's one of the gifts, I believe, that um, a house of prayer expression gives. Just to follow up on that, um, I remember personally when we had uh, a word of correction that came uh, through Brian about how we were kind of grumbling and we weren't being thankful for the Lord being a good leader. Uh, I remember that just being, it really resonated with me when I heard it and it continues to resonate with our community when we kind of get off track. And so it was really cool as a young person to be a part of that because you feel like you're kind of hearing God corporately and you're able to apply this to your your corporate journey, uh, and it feels like you're you're part of this thing. I just remember Brian saying, you know, he would be grumbling about the the lack of air conditioning, or grumbling about the lack of drums, and then you know the Lord saying, "Do you think I'm a bad leader?" And seeing him be vulnerable in that sense, then for my own life, if I start grumbling about, oh, school's too busy, or oh, I don't like where I'm working or where I'm living, and then being able to say like, whoa, whoa, I got to check my heart. That's me saying, God, you're a, you're a bad leader. And that's not truth at all. I think having that for me was, was a really helpful prophetic piece because uh, it wasn't just the prophetic journey of some distant, far off kind of organization. It was like our community. It was grumbling that we were doing. Yeah, we were the ones grumbling. The whole community, not just your family. <laughs> Everybody was grumbling. And now we, and that we've brought that 
up over and over and over again over the last 13 years. And that piece about thankfulness, and we've had thankfulness Sundays, and we've had thankfulness months where we have given ourselves to all of our worship sets are about thankfulness, and our prayers are about thankfulness. And I believe that in in and through that, the Lord has just um, put that character and that, I guess, what you would say is the culture of heaven they are thankful, they are joyful, and he's like, you ha- that has to go deep, deep within. And I believe that that has been put in us and has been put in our children, and they remember the day when that happened. In the House of Prayer context, we often talk about the end times and, and urgency and, and just how the Lord is using this movement before his coming return. Like, this is one of the movements that are that's going to usher in his return. How do you think that's affected your, your children in in the midst of teaching them about end times and hearing about all the difficulty in the days ahead. I'm just going to jump in with a bit of a funny story on that one. It, it definitely affected me in a bit of an interesting way because I remember hearing all these stories about urgency and about end times and listening to Mike's uh, Omega series. And then I remember just arguing with my youth leader being like, <laughs> you know, man, this is this is how it's going to be. Like Mike Bickle's just laying out the scriptures. He's from a different church? Yeah, and he leader? was from a different church because okay. I was I was with uh, a different church from, for youth. And, and I remember, you know, going for, for Subway with him and, and just kind of, you know, hashing it out back and forth. Um, he, w- he was very gracious. And so I wasn't like getting into trouble, but um, it wasn't what he believed. And so it was, uh, it was a bit interesting, kind of, you know, there was, there was a tension there. It was like, uh, you know, why don't you agree with me? And I think for me, that was a bit shocking because I, I had heard it sort of in, uh, at IHOP and at Sanctuary House of Prayer. And I just assumed that everybody thought that, that it was just, this is of course how it works. And so it was a bit of a, bit of a rude wake up call uh, when I kind of had that conversation. So did you have the conversation from your parents about like Jesus in the robes dipped in blood, that sort of thing? Uh, I mean, that was dinner table discussion for sure. So as parents, how did you guys find that having these urgency discussions at the dinner table? Again, it was, I think our children actually led us into discussion of end times. They were first ahead of us. Um, when we were when we were raising them, Jay, we would say, "Oh, Jay, we're gonna re- let's read a Bible story," and and he's and so we just say, "Well, what book of the Bible do you want? Should we start with?" And I thought he was gonna choose, you know, some good gospel thing or something. And Jay was like, "I want to read Revelation," and I'm like, "Revelation? I don't read Revelation, really. <laughs> you want to read Revelation? Okay, we will read Revelation." And so we read Revelation, and he's like, "Okay, let's read Revelation again." And I'm like. Oh, let's read Revelation again. I had no understanding, no real background in it. I was just doing it. And I was a little puzzled because I just thought, why are you so captivated by this book and that nobody talks about and only and in my growing up years it just was synonymous with charts and dates and things and it didn't really have a context. But he was very captivated by it and so we just went along with that. That was one piece and and then for myself, it was like the Lord encountered me and he just said, um, basically what he said is, you want to have a heart that's alive and looking for my coming. You want to be focused and looking. And I realized I hadn't been looking. I had been looking about going to where he was, but I hadn't been, look- I hadn't been looking and waiting for him to come to me, to come back to the earth. I did not have that perspective. And so... As I was making that transition, the House of Prayer was starting. And so as Jehu mentioned that IHOP, they were doing the end time series. 
And so they, we were beginning to learn and grow and understand and argue and wrestle and try to make sense of all that was involved in end times. And what happened with our other daughter, she's uh, two years younger than Jehu. For her, the study of the end times, the study of Jesus coming back, that urgency piece just drew her into the kingdom. And she was just like, now I understand. Now I love Jesus more than ever. I want to know everything there is about him coming back. I had no idea. And so she sort of came alive in that. And so we just found that each one of our children, it was like something came alive in them as as we looked to talk about Jesus' return. And that's where the house of prayer and the end time peace and the urgency peace just came together. I just want to add in, though, that kids are still kids. And so we always do uh, kind of funny things with, with the end time stuff. Uh, I remember my uh, my younger sister, she was she was just very adamant uh, about the about the end times. And so her email address for the longest time was as in the days of Noah at hotmail.com. And so, you know, it's like you're you're passionate about the end times and you want your email address to reflect that. And it was, it was just kind of funny. Part of uh, when you're in a house of prayer in our context is you have long exposure to worship, to end time stuff, to it's a lot of content. And so there's a lot to talk about. And so our dinner table conversations and when we're driving the kids to and from school, there was just so much to talk about. So when you're sitting down and getting up and going to bed, it was always in the air and there was, all, there was always new content to, to talk about it, to ra- try and wrap our brain around, to understand, to apply to our hearts. And so that was some of the impact of engaging with the whole end time uh, piece. I, I wouldn't say it bled over into our family, it just it torrented over because it was it was everywhere. You couldn't not talk about it. It was wonderful. So, I mean, the Lord got you into the house of prayer because your love for worship and prayer and you just fell in love with it and then you stumble into all this theology of the end times and these other things that you weren't really paying too much attention to before but he's all of a sudden enlightening your eyes to them as you sit in the prayer room and these are the things that your kids get excited about and all of a sudden they're they're planting themselves in the house of prayer because they get a revelation of Jesus and his return. I think that's that's a, such a great story. I love that. And it's kind of very similar for some of my kids. Like, I know my son, my oldest son, Eli, we often talk about the end times too. And, and he he really likes to have that understanding of what it's going to be like. And even growing up, because he was born into the house of prayer, it's, it's normal for him. It's like, yeah, this is how Jesus is going to come back and return. And this is what it's going to be like. You didn't have any theology to wrestle with first. And then it's probably very similar with your kids because they're fairly young coming into the house of prayer. You're wrestling with it, but they're grabbing a hold of it, and you're having these conversations at the table, and it's getting you guys excited, and it's getting them excited. It's the air they breathe. I mean, that's that's normal to them. It's normative. So in addition to uh, the theology and the place where they can encounter the Lord and the end times and the singing, and, and in addition to all that stuff, um, just from a real parental perspective, uh, like, you know, I know when kids score the winning goal at uh, at the Little League game, you know, or they uh, they finally, you know, win a gold medal on their figure skating, all those kinds of things, they uh, it just, as a parent, I'm sure that your heart just comes alive. Uh, have you had any experiences like that, or can you even share one of them that you've had in, in the house of prayer where your children have, have done something that maybe surprised you or you were so proud? I think all of our kids have done stuff that I'm proud of in the house of prayer. We have on Monday nights at various times had a, an opportunity for people who any, whoever wants to, to teach a 10 minute teaching. And all of my four kids have taught 
more than once. All have very different styles, all have very different approaches, and all are very confident and excellent public speakers. I remember one of my daughters, some years ago, she was, I think, 12, 13, she became part of a team, and so she would be the prayer leader on a Worship in the Word set, and she, I remember seeing her up there, and she was young, and she was leading the thing. It was amazing. It was wonderful. Yeah, I love seeing the kids grow up in the prayer room and become adults and take on these leadership roles at young ages and still be really strong in them. So in closing this first part of this two-part series, Sue, do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to add? Just to tie in again with the whole understanding of encounter. And when we go, we all long to be encountered by God. We yearn and we hope and we desire to be encountered by God. And we desire this for our children. We take them there, we go week after week, and inside the heart of every parent is a desire for that they want to see their children encounter God. And near when the House of Prayer was starting, just a few years in, Jehu was at a bit of a more difficult time in his life, and it was a struggle and a wrestle, and he put himself there every week, but it wasn't an easy thing, and he was somewhat bored and somewhat distracted. And I remember thinking and praying, okay, God, here we are. We believe this. We put him here. You're going to touch him. You're going to encounter him in some way. And there was a, and at that time, it was like the Holy Spirit came closer. And they, there was just a, a normal time of like, go up, get prayer. And Jay went up and got prayed for. And it was like the Holy Spirit came and, and touched him in such a way that he just knew again maybe almost for the first time, how much God loved him. And he knew the closeness of God, and he just fell in love with God. And I watched him go up for prayer four times that night because he just was like, I, God loves me. This is amazing. I'm going to go get more prayer because then I'm going to feel more love from God. And he just, he wouldn't stop. And something, it was like that that um, fire or that Something touches something deep on the inside, and it changed, and it changed him. And he began to make choices and moving forward towards the Lord and towards following after him in a deeper way. And it was like, I got to see that. I got to watch that, and I got to see the uh, consequent, not the consequences, more the effects of that in the years to come. And so it was a great day. The Lord got extra praise that day. He got extra thanks coming from us, for sure. And I think uh, even what you're saying there, uh, as much as every parent wants that, if that would have happened at my youth group, you would have been super excited. But being it just in that one room, you were able to watch it happen. And I think for you, that's just such a such a gift to have the prayer room be the room where it all happens. Uh, and then you as parents just getting to look on and just enjoy. We looked on, we enjoyed, his siblings laughed, and we all, you know, we had a good time on the way home for sure. You plant yourselves before the Lord in the house of prayer for hours and hours and hours. It's, it's bound to have some effect on, on your children, and it's great that we get to see it for those of us that have kids and are raising them in the house of prayer. So we are going to wrap up this first episode. We're going to do another part on this and actually talk about some of the practicals about raising children in, 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 about raising children in the prayer movement. Uh, this first episode, we really wanted to touch on some of the hard things about what it's like to raise kids in the prayer room. And thank you, Harvin Sue, for joining us this episode. I feel so encouraged, and I'm really excited about the next episode where you guys will be joining us as well. So that's the end of this episode. If you'd like to find more information on 
the Burning Rooms podcast, visit our website at burningrooms.ca. Until next time, my name is Johan. I'm Jehu. I'm Sue. I'm Harv. And this has been the Burning Burning Rooms Rooms Podcast. podcast.